wherever in the world you are. Welcome to the Health Zone Show with Mihal Omahuna, where with each episode I explore interesting health and well-being topics with a thought-provoking guest. These topics can range from nutrition, relationships, spirituality, finance, creativity, mental health and much, much more, so that you can live a healthier, happier and more authentic life. Guests on the show vary from health experts, spiritual teachers, finance wizards, sports legends, to ordinary people with extraordinary lives. Find us on facebook.com forward slash The Health Zone Show, or you can also join our Facebook group, The Health Zoners. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, pin interest under The Health Zone. Check out our new updated website, www.thehealthzoneshow.com, and at the moment, you can receive a free copy of my latest ebook, Seven Ways to Boost Your Overall Well Being When You Join the Health Zone. Today, I'm talking with spiritual teacher, best selling author, and highly attuned empathic healer, Matt Can. Hello, Matt. How are you today? Oh, I'm wonderful. It's an honor to be here with you. When did your own self awareness begin? And- like, was there anything that brought that on for you? One of my most profound experiences um, that began my entire spiritual path was when I was eight years old and I found myself having an experience of heaven. And at the time, I didn't necessarily think of it as heaven, but it, it was like visiting a heavenly realm. I was eight years old and I went to sleep one night like every other night and I found myself in the most amazing garden I've ever seen in my life. The colors of this garden were so brilliant and vibrant. It was just overflowing with the vibration of love. And as a kid, I always felt a little afraid of being somewhere unfamiliar. And I remember so specifically feeling so loved and, and acknowledging at that age, wow, I don't know where I am, but it's okay. And that was really big for me. And so I, I began moving through this garden and I began moving through a field of waist high flowers and I could feel my body moving through this dense brush of waist-high flowers. And at the same time, I was also hovering above my body watching. And I, I couldn't explain this, but the love was so incredible that it just didn't need explaining. And as I'm hovering above these flowers, <clears throat> I see another being in front of me, about 10 feet in front of me, let's say, hovering above the flowers as well. And he's wearing a white robe with dark hair and a dark beard. And he motions me towards him. And... I eventually start floating towards this being. And as I got about a few feet from this, this person, it was like pure white light was pouring out of their eyes. And for some reason, as an eight-year-old child, I, I, for some reason, I thought of like those scary movies where people roll their eyes up in their head. And I don't know why I thought that. But when I thought that, it kind of broke the state of the experience. And I then fell through the garden, which is the only time I knew I left my body, through the clouds, through the sky, and I fell back in my body and I was, you know, shaking, sweating, freezing. It was, it was a very, uh, it was a very intense experience. And then about five feet from me in the doorway of my bedroom at, at that age, I saw the same being motion me towards them. And it was like outlined in this like chalky white etheric energy, kind of like if you see a spirit, it would be in this like form. And I looked directly at this being and they disappeared. And then of course I, told my parents about this experience and my dad recounted that he had almost the same experience 45 years before I did, which, you know, I didn't know what that meant, but I knew there was some sort of connection to this. And um, I went to my friend's house and they had a, a painting of Jesus in their living room and I didn't know who Jesus was. And I said, I don't know who that guy is, but that's who I met in my dream. And my friend acts like it's, you know, oh, that's impossible. And I, I don't know why it was such a, you know, forbidden thing, but it, it, was, it was the experience that for me began everything. And it was such an impactful experience. The feeling of being in the garden still lives within me after all these years. And it's really just an experience where I was opened up to the magic and the mysteries of the universe. And throughout my life, as I've evolved, it's always been just my deepest passion and where I like to, you know, bring my focus to. So for me, uh, it was this experience and my desire for truth and my 
love for the universe and my desire to help humanity that really kind of began this, this journey for me. You mentioned there about truth. What is truth? An interesting question because, you know, there are degrees of truth. You know, there is an all-encompassing truth. Uh, and I think if we're going to talk about a, uh, an all-encompassing truth, the truth is that all of us equally have our own subjective truth, right? Degrees of truth. Um, and and no, no truth is wrong for the person perceiving it. And the bigger truth beyond these little truths is that we are all interconnected and that what we do and the choices we make are not only positively affecting our lives, but potentially positively affecting the lives of others around us just by us learning to live in alignment with spirit, knowing that my interconnection to all beings is going to help me transform others just as much as I serve myself. So we, we could talk about degrees of truth and at every level of awareness and revelation, the truth changes. But the biggest truth that everything is included in, uh, that everything is a part of, is that all truths are equally subjective depending on the person perceiving it, and all truths are connected, which makes us all connected as one. One of the biggest challenges for a lot of people is maybe to connect with the truth of their own being. You know, yes. is, is there a way to really connect with the truth of our own being? Absolutely. I think that when we talk about the truth, we're talking about consciousness, we're talking about light, and that how light manifests as forms of consciousness. So there is light, and it is manifested as you, it is manifested as me. And I think the most immediate and direct living evidence of the infinite flowing light within every human being is our breath. And so when we want to connect with the truth, we're not necessarily connecting with the ideas we hold to be true, the beliefs we hope turn out to be true. When we're connecting with the truth, we're connecting with the most tangible form of the universe dwelling within us. That's always the breath. So as we spend more time breathing in and out very consciously, very mindfully, with less things to question, with less things to worry about, but just simply, I'm going to be one with the breath that is always one with me. And when we are always one with the breath that is always one with us, we tend to have profound, deep experiences of oneness, revelation, transcendence, and it becomes an opportunity for every human being who wishes to explore the depth of truth within them, who wishes to take this journey as deep as they wish, if you wish to find a deeper reality and be more connected and feel more peace and feel more fulfilled, the gateway into that heavenly realm is the very breath we breathe. And I know you probably have been interviewed a lot around the COVID-19 situation. <laughs> yes. Do you have any words of wisdom around that for people listening in today? Well, of course, you know, there's, there's a lot, of, just when we were talking about degrees of truth, you know, that there's a lot of people who are curious about what's this really about, what's really going on, what's this being used for, all these wonderful things because, you know, it's a very strange thing what's happening. Um, but I think if we really want to really tap into the truth, you know, we get out of this trying to solve a mystery mindset and we really accept the fact or open up to accepting the fact that beyond politics and beyond all that stuff, we have a universe that has put mostly every human being in a state of quarantine. And so the question we ask ourselves is, what, what does my source want from me? And as a species of individuals, we've been given the most uncanny opportunity to recreate our society into a more spiritually fueled, heart-centered society of unity consciousness. And in order for us to come together in a world and society of unity consciousness, each of us have to be steeped in that vibration. And there's no better way to be steeped in a higher spiritual vibration than going deeper into our unprocessed emotions, slowing our life down, and really simplifying the complexities of our everyday life and demands. So even though what we're seeing can be seen very fearfully, and should I go outside, and Will I get COVID-19 and all these really real world things be, you know, in addition to that, simultaneous to that, life has given every human being the opportunity to take a step back, to go within, 
to look at whatever unprocessed feelings need to be healed and to ask ourselves the most important question, which is, who will I become as I move out of this quarantine process? And so each of us get to use this like a meditation retreat where we enter as one version of ourselves with the hope that we exit the other side more evolved and expanded than ever before. A lot of people are responding to this situation with fear. Mm-hmm. Is there a way that they could respond from a place of love with it? Yeah, I think it's an interesting thing because, you know, typically we think, okay, people are in a state of fear. We would rather people be in a state of love or connection or unity. Uh, and the way I like to teach things, I don't like it to be one or the other. I don't, I don't particularly like to teach love versus fear. What I like to teach is if you're in a state of fear, can we acknowledge that it's not the circumstance that's making you afraid. It's that the circumstance is reminding you of the unprocessed fear that has always lived within you. And so instead of making it about, I choose love over fear, it's why not allow the love that's always within me to actually be the very force that embraces fear like a child in pain. So instead of thinking of fear as something I got to throw away, I have to get rid of, what if actually fear is just standing in line waiting to be loved. And when we're in our egos, we perceive it as good versus bad, light versus dark. Oh, I can't have fear within me because then there's, you know, my vibration will lower. All these superstitious ideas. The truth is, is that every feeling in our body is like a child waiting in line. And for what it didn't receive in acceptance and love from your history, it looks to you as its new parent to give it the love and attention that it never received. So our job is to see that we are assisting in our own healing process. We are accelerating the healing process of humanity by instead of trying to move from fear to love, we're bringing love to the fear within us so we can be as equally authentic and earnest as we are enlightened and expanded. What does it mean to be authentic in the world, Matt? It means to be, to, to be true to your path, to be true to your feelings and not try to be bigger than where you're at. Like not thinking to yourself, wow. I mean, again, it's authentic to say, wow, I wish I was bigger than this or I wish I didn't have to feel this. But, but to earnestly say, you know, I'm on my path. I've been making great headway. And you know what? There's still fear within me. I think part of the issue is that When people try to shift from fear to love, they're trying to get away from fear. And so they're acting towards fear in the most unloving way. And that's why fear lingers, because fear says, I'm one of your teachers, you're not getting it. And so fear will stay until it changes how we approach it. So again, it's authentic is being able to say, I would, you know, despite how I want to be seen by others, despite how perfect I've imagined myself being whatever perfect means to every person. I equally accept that there are imperfections within me and that if I'm totally true to those imperfections, they will actually make me a more vibrant expression of source instead of someone who's unworthy or unlovable. So I think when we're in our egos, we think we have to always present our highest qualities and we can't have any flaws and I think when we come into authenticity, you know, we don't avoid doing the work, but we're authentic about where we are and it's going to include talents. It's going to include ambitions. It's going to include challenges and it's okay that we have all of it. And that's, that, that's really what, what a great hallmark of an evolved being is not one who says, once I've done all these things, then I'm, in, then I'm really high vibrational. High vibrational is more about the relationship you have with your feelings. And there's nothing more high vibrational than having a moment of fear and saying, oh, I haven't seen you in a while. I love you. Come on in. So really, re- Vibration is not about what you do and don't experience. It's about the relationship and the response you have to whatever arises. Too often, you know, I know in my experience and probably many people who are listening in today, when you get an uncomfortable feeling, we respond with resistance or even shame around that. Yeah, well, you know, in resistance, resistance has been pegged or labeled as like this 
wrongdoing on the spiritual path. Like if I'm in resistance, oh my God, I'm really not doing what I'm supposed to do. Or for most people, this is what's really interesting. Most people assume they're in a state of resistance when really it's just the universe telling you it's not time to have what you want. So I think a lot of people's resistance is an assumption. Like for example, I was talking to someone, I was helping them, they said, I, I'm in a state of resistance. And I said, no, no, you're not. You, you're just, you're not feeling the way you wanna feel. That's very different. Because resistance is using all of your energy to avoid something you don't wanna feel. And from a heart center perspective, if someone is doing everything they can to avoid a feeling, it's because they're in a state of fear or duress, which means they don't feel safe. So I think what's really more important in the spiritual path before we get into how do we, you know, transcend resistance, we have to actually accept resistance is actually not a sign that we're doing the wrong thing, but it's really just a more loving way to say, my God, if I feel like I'm in a state of resistance, how unsafe am I feeling right now? And if I'm feeling unsafe, I need my love and I need love more than anything else. So when we are breathing with ourselves and we're loving our hearts, we're allowing the universe to come to our rescue and to say, hey, you're not feeling safe. You've requested extra light. You've requested extra awareness so that you can feel safe enough to make it through the stage of your journey. So I think what's really, really powerful is that when we're so authentic and so loving, we're not assuming we're resisting because things don't go our way. You know, we're, we're actually saying, if I'm resisting, I'm not going to berate myself. I'm not going to judge myself. I'm just going to go, wow, I'm really feeling not safe right now. Let me love, let me, let me respond with self-care instead of self-judgment. How important is it for us to know ourselves to really embrace our authenticity? Well, the only purpose of being alive is to know yourself. It's, you know, there are all these cool experiences we have when, while we're in the body, you know, we, we grow, we have uh, ambitions, we have goals, uh, we, we get into partnerships, we have families, sometimes we raise children or animals, and these are all a part of it. But the overarching theme of life is that every momentary experience is only created to help you know yourself better. So what's interesting is that I think people are coming into awareness more and more that what they thought they knew themselves, but they realized that they knew ideas imagined about themselves or that they took ideas from, about other people or other people's ideas of you. And we kind of just made this kind of mishmash of who we think we are. And when we're on the spiritual path and we go from doing, doing, doing to moment, pa momentary pauses of being, it's really an opportunity to go deep and to realize you may think you know yourself, but do you know who you really are or do you just know ideas about you? Because if you know yourself as ideas, ideas can be defended, ideas need protecting. If someone says something disparaging to you, do you have to protect your reputation? These, these are all wonderful things, but they're ideas that we've held about ourselves. And when we really know ourselves really well, we don't make other people's experience about us. We don't even make other people's experience of us about us because we're not lost in ideas. And so it, what's really interesting about the spiritual path, whether it's meditation, yoga, loving your heart, breath work, whatever the inquiry is going to be, self-inquiry, another way of doing it, it's not to move from one state to the other. It's really how deeply am I interested in knowing myself? And do I, when I think of knowing myself beyond my ideas, there might be a part of myself that feels a little afraid and uncertain of that. And there might be a little part of myself that's excited. And I think when we're on the spiritual path, it's an opportunity to really offer support to that part of us that's excited to know ourselves beyond ideas. That while there's a part of ourselves and our ego that says, oh God, beyond ideas sounds scary. And then there's this little part that says, Scary sounds exciting. And so, and, and again, as we partner up and commune with the light of our consciousness, as we get to know ourselves as souls in human form, not just egoic characters looking for greater connection, what we find beyond ideas is that who we are is the very source 
of everything we desire. And when we put aside how we desire our lives to look, our homes to look, our families to look, that's all important on a certain level. But on a deeper level, all of those things are manifestations of a source. And that source is you. And so taking the time to authentically get to know you and not making it about, I only want to know myself to whatever degree gives me more of what I want, right? When we put aside what we want and we get into the interest and curiosity of who am I actually, that's really when a deeper dive occurs and it's really when the universe starts recreating our reality from the inside out. And when we do it authentically, there's nothing more miraculous than knowing ourselves beyond words and descriptions. And Matt, in a, in a practical way, is there a way to really know what we want? Well, I think the most practical thing is to be able to distinguish between what we want and what we need. And to say, it's very normal to want, you know, to have wants. It's natural to want what I want. But we have to, you know, when we're evolved, we come from this natural state of detachment, which says, okay, universe, I want X, Y, and Z. Please bring it to me as I accept that you are bringing it to me on your own perfect universal timing. Not on my timing, but on your timing. So here's what I want. X, Y, Z. Thank you for bringing it to me whenever I'm ready to receive it. And then we put it aside. And then we go, okay, I've acknowledged what I want. I put out to the universe and it's going to come to me in whatever miraculous way it will come. Now let me focus on what do I need? What do I need in this moment emotionally? What do I need nutritionally? What do I need on every level for myself? So when we're truly being authentic, yes, we have desires. The future will bring us those desires from the future to the present moment. And it will happen in whatever way it will. But the real focus is not getting lost in waiting for present moment to be my idea of the future. But how much time can I spend in the present moment being so aware of my personal needs and being the person that fulfills those needs, whether it's loving my heart more often, whether it's forgiving people in my family, whether it's watching less news and spending more time doing creative projects, journaling, writing, cooking, dancing, singing. Maybe it's playing more with my children, spending more time with my partner. And if that doesn't interest me, maybe I should look at my partnership. Maybe it's time, you know, just really looking at what do I need right now instead of waiting for the future to rescue us? I think that's a really practical shift. So, you know, what we, and the funny thing is you can say to the universe, I want this. The universe knows you better than you know you. So the universe will say, I hear what you're saying, but you really want X, Y, and Z. And I might bring you different things. Then you go, oh my God, had I gotten everything I asked for, it would have been less than what gift surprised me um, over time. And so we let the universe take care of the want and we spend our energy giving ourselves what we need, whether it's you know, time to take detox baths, walks in nature, whether it's to have a gratitude journal or to spend more time eating alkaline healthy foods to support our bodies in these uncertain times. A true spiritual master or an evolving spiritual master does not spend more time in want than need. They spend more time fulfilling the needs and letting wants come when they're going to come. You mentioned about just being present there with this current situation you know people are experiencing a variety of different emotions is there a way to can be present with what is i would say so i think that being present with what is um to distinguish the difference between i'm being present and everything is horrifying me versus i'm being present and i'm in a state of serenity no matter the experiences of others you know the real question is how do we get from one to the other and it has to do with time. Because as soon as people come into the present moment, especially when something that they don't want to experience is happening, right? There's a feeling of unsafety, disappointment, struggle, adversity, stress. As soon as they come into, most people come into that moment, they want to pull away from that moment. So most people are in the greatest amount of dissatisfaction in the present moment because they spent the least amount of time in the present moment. As human beings, we adapt and we adjust. 
the more time we spend in one place, the more the initial intensity wears off. And instead of it being this, I can't do this. The truth is we can do this. We just don't want to do this. And so one of the real interesting facets of awareness is realizing I can do everything I don't want to do. And another facet of awareness is I have the ability to do what I don't want to do while not wanting to do it, right? That's like the greatest distinction between adulthood and childhood. A child says, I don't want to do it, so I won't. An adult says, I don't want to do it, but I have to. And so this is a moment in time when the inner children in the people of this world are getting a massive dose of maturity that says, look, if I had my way, I wouldn't be in a world of self-quarantining. No one would be, you know, trying to protect themselves from COVID-19 and all these different things that are happening. And, you know, countries open up, then the, then the spike goes up and people go back inside. Like, you know, no one wants to do this. But there's a difference between, look, my ego does not like this. But on a higher level, I know this is really good for me. And it's good for me because it's an opportunity for me to bring as much consciousness to this as I wish. And what we realize is the more time we spend in the present moment, no matter how the wallpaper of our experience is decorated, when we spend more time having to be where we don't want to be, we start to adapt. And our fight with it dissolves. And it's not so bad. And it's just kind of like a, yeah, I'd love to be doing all these things. And then you realize comparison is not helpful, right? Remembering how life was before is not helpful. Waiting for life to go back to the way it was is, 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 is an impossibility and it's not helpful. So it's just one of those things where the ego receives the sting of this is not what I want. And there's a higher part of us that says, you're right. This isn't what I want but we can make the best of this because adults are defined as those that say, I don't like this. I don't have to like this, but this is going to be really good for me if I'm open to that level of awareness. Could you talk about it a little bit about around enlightenment and how that, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> enlightenment. Well, you know, enlightenment for me and in, in my experience of it, um, I've been in what's called Samadhi, which is a, ongoing uninterrupted meditative trance that just kind of opens up in you at different levels of awakening and i've been in the state for about 13 14 years you know and i've experienced you know i've experienced the body in states of fear i've experienced panic i don't experience it that often at all it's very infrequent i've experienced sadness i've experienced every emotion but it's all within this awake transcendent infinite awareness um, but I look at enlightenment not as one moment of realization. We talk about the moment my perspective shifted or the blinders came off or a pop happened and all of a sudden I was different. That's a moment of realization. Enlightenment is the trajectory. Like, so there are so many levels and layers of realization and enlightenment. Enlightenment is the gravity you get pulled into where you have a moment of realization, you feel your awareness expanded, you feel peace in your heart, everything feels connected, and then it kind of goes back to the way it was before. Then it opens up for longer periods of time. Enlightenment is more so when that opening just stays like that. We call that abiding, an abiding enlightened state, even though it's not technically a state. And then from there, you're always in that space and you will constantly go through upgrades and expansions where you will just experience one level to the next and there's no end to the trajectory of enlightenment. It's just kind of getting into that gravitational pull of truth revealing greater truths and love revealing greater love and peace revealing greater peace and wisdom revealing greater wisdom. And do you think there's an easy way to enlightenment? <laughs> My most ironic answer will be the easiest way to enlightenment is facing life openly. And people hear that and they their egos want to gag and ah, no, ah, you know, but the funny thing is, is that if, okay, so if you could run towards enlightenment and just jump with all your might and leap from this planet 
to a different heavenly realm and you're like, oh my God, I was walking down the street with my groceries. I saw this opening for enlightenment and I ran and I just jumped and I made it. The funniest thing is the moment you land in the trajectory of enlightenment, you're going to, of course, feel peaceful, fulfilled, relaxed. Your mind will be in a state of serenity, all these wonderful things. But very soon after you land there and you go, whew, I made it. You will then turn back around and start missing the everyday life that you use spirituality to avoid. And then you'll be like, God, I just miss being a person. And, oh, you know, that wasn't so bad. And so what's interesting is that, you know, when we imagine enlightenment to be the opposite of the things we don't like about life, uh, if we could find ourselves in that different experience, we would then just miss the very things that we spent so much time trying to avoid and push away and bypass. So I, I think that if I'm going to give an answer on the quickest way to enlightenment, even though, you know, the context of it is kind of like, a, ooh, how do we screw the system, you know, kind of thing. Um, I would say that the fastest way to enlightenment is radical authenticity. Like, hey, I feel destined for enlightenment. And right now, I'm a scared little boy or little girl. And that doesn't mean that that's opposite of enlightenment. And so we really, the, the, the work at hand is to not judge ourselves for the experience at hand. Like instead of it being, oh my God, I'm in a state of fear and this is totally blocking me from enlightenment, which is not true. What if we were to say, wow, I'm in a state of fear or sadness or apprehension. This must be the next thing enlightenment wants for me to face. Like what if we framed it that way? Like, oh, enlightenment is my teacher. And my teacher says, now face this one. Oh, and now all of a sudden there's reverence for sadness. There's respect for fear. There's acknowledgement for pain. And it's not so much this spiritually egoic drive of, I want things to be only the way I want them to be. And when things don't go the way I plan, I shut down or I lash out at others. And so authenticity is authenticity of the way. And Matt, around authenticity, how important is it for us to trust our intuition in being more authentic in the world? Well, I think it's imperative to trust our intuition. I just think it, 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 there's a process to developing a level of intuition worth trusting. You know, Because most people will say, my intuition told me today that I need to go by myself this car and I got to go move over here. And, you know, I, I think we have to have a level of discernment, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of the intuitions people need to learn how to trust are the options that aren't very comfortable in the beginning. Right. So let's say someone says, you know, cause my lease is up soon where I live. So let's say someone's lease is up and they go, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm meant to be somewhere else. And of all the options that they have before them, they have a few different options but their options don't give them every single thing that they wanted. So that person's intuition says, you're not gonna get everything on your list, but this one option is gonna be the best for what you don't know is coming your way. And if you're in an ego, you say, nope, it doesn't meet all the criteria, I'm not gonna do it. Instead of going, hmm, there's a quiet voice inside of me saying, yes, you're not gonna get everything on your list right now, but this is where you need to be. So I, I think, the, the, the importance of following our intuition is, do we have a level of wisdom actively inside of us that's showing us where to go? And are we willing to go there even if it doesn't give us what we want or it might be displacing, uncomfortable? It might be the things that none of us want to feel. But when we use our intuition, we are calling on a higher wisdom and a higher wisdom is not bogged down by the things that trip up human beings so, you know, so often and decisively. So we all have intuition within us. We all have wisdom within us. But I think it's important to make sure I'm following what my guidance is telling me, even if it doesn't match the wish list of my endless desires. And when we have the discernment of here's what I want, but here's what I might need. And I'm just going to let the guidance guide me. That's when we really start opening up to this deep magic. And this is really what we call the heart of surrender, which is the essence of what awakening awakens in us.
And Matt, how can we connect to that wisdom within ourselves? We have to ask ourselves, what is my wisdom asking of me? You know, maybe we frame the question, what's the things, what are the things I know I should be doing more often that I avoid and make excuses about? You know, whether it's like, you know, when, you were, when we're kids, you know, our parents say, make your bed or get up to go to school. There are things that we need to do that don't necessarily match what we as kids want to do. So when we're following our wisdom, we're looking at what are the most positive things that deep down I know I should be doing that I work very hard to make sure I don't have time to do. Right. And, and again, it's the difference of, yes, this might be uncomfortable. This might not be pleasant in the beginning, but I'm worthy of the change that makes me into a human being who's more aligned and resonant with the things that are the best for me. And I'll give you a perfect example. So in my private life, when I'm not teaching, I'm really into cooking. I'm really good at cooking. I love cooking. When I'm not on the road, I make three meals a day for myself from scratch. That's just how I do it. And I am just very good. I have a collection of cookbooks and I just look, you know, I open them up, I study different recipes so I can learn different techniques and I make up all my own recipes. So for me, I like cooking and I've learned how to cook by teaching myself and I've developed a certain amount of endurance in cooking. And so for example, someone who doesn't cook a lot, doesn't spend a lot of time in the kitchen. So when they first go in the kitchen, it's like, oh, this is such a hardship. Oh, this is so difficult. I don't know what to do. Oh, this is going to take so much time. But the more you do something, the more you build up this endurance. And then when you have the endurance, it doesn't feel like a challenge. It doesn't feel like it's exhausting. It's because you love it and you've developed that. It's like, a, it's like an athlete who before a, a professional sports game, they're just running drills and to other people, it looks like they're playing a full on game and they're like, no, I'm just, I'm just running drills because you've built the endurance. And so a lot of the things that we need to do that we don't do, like eat nutritionally dense diets, drink enough water, get enough sleep, have time for journaling, self-reflection, you know, all these different things. We haven't built up enough endurance making those choices. And so it always feels like this agonizing hardship. But the more time we put into making empowering conscious choices, the more we build this endurance. And when you build the endurance, doing the right thing and doing the most conscious thing is a joy, not a punishment. So I think it's more of the more often we do the things that we think we resist or that we don't think we should have to do, the more we mature parts of ourselves to really find that change and empowerment and not just doing things because you think it's going to give you what you want, but because it's what the universe is asking of you. And as you make these positive choices, it's pouring energy around you to uplift others into similar choice, choice points. It becomes a joy. It becomes an honor. It becomes a gift. Like change becomes a gift. And I think that's a really great way of distinguishing it for anyone who's listening to this. Does the ability to change without promising you a specific outcome, does that excite you or does that intimidate you? And if we find it intimidating us or exhausting us, it's important to make more time to build that, build that endurance making those kinds of choices. And it's only gonna bring greater joy to our lives. Thanks, Matt. And I know you mentioned about maturity there, but at times people can spiritually bypass things or there can be a spiritual ego about certain things as well. Sure. But w w what does it mean to be like, spiritually mature in the world? Well, you know, we bypass things by thinking based on what I know, I should feel this or I shouldn't have to feel this. And I, I think when we're in a state of spiritual maturity, we are, of course, spirit. We are infinite. We are transcendent. We are, we are all the things that spirit is, but through the humility of an open heart, we're not bigger than any experience we're having. And I think that when we look at bypassing, people either think I should be beyond this, I thought I was beyond this, or I'd like to get beyond this. 
And it's about trying to get out of reality and get into some sort of fanciful realm of preferences. And there's nothing wrong with it. But when we're being spiritually mature, we're not bigger than our experiences. We're just saying, yeah, you know, right now I wish this moment was totally different. And in fact, it's not. And this moment's asking me to feel this feeling that makes me feel so uncomfortable. So I'm gonna roll up my sleeves and I'm gonna say, time to get uncomfortable. And I'm going to sit there and I'm going to feel this part of me kicking and screaming. And I'm going to say, yes, this is exactly what enlightenment's asking me to feel. And instead of trying to get rid of that kicking and screaming, I'm going to embrace my inner kicker and screamer. And I'm going to say, I'm just going to love you as you are. I'm not going to try to control you. I'm not going to try to talk you into being better. I'm just going to love you as you are. I'm just going to hold you because I can, if I can feel the kicking and screaming inside of me, I'm aware of how much love that part of me needs right now. And so I'm going to be the best parent to my inner child instead of adopting the mindset of the child that says, I only want things my way. You mentioned there about loving ourselves. A big part of loving ourselves is having healthy boundaries that respect and honor us. Could you mm -hmm. talk a little bit about that? We think boundaries is an energetic necessity and what that means is and what whether you, someone who's listening to this you know sees themselves as a light worker a healer an empath whether a school teacher you know working as a counselor or a parent you know whatever role we're playing as energetic beings we have light always flowing through us and everywhere we go and everyone we come into contact with we are transmitting the light of our unique frequency and other people are transmitting it to us when we have interactions, it's because there are preordained or predestined moments when we meet to exchange information on a cellular vibrational level. Now, as, as soon as that file swapping has occurred, there's a message of this moment is complete. And usually when we don't get the message of this moment is complete, we then start to get tired. And when we get tired, it's a sign that whatever we're doing has, has been, you know, rendered complete. And it's time for us to separate from this experience and go into our own private quarters and to integrate what file swapping just happened. And so oftentimes what happens is, you know, we feel tired and we go, okay, I think I'm done interacting with this person. But if we're codependent beings, which most energetically sensitive people who lack self-worth and who are burning in self-doubt are very codependent, we go, oh my God, I think I need to create a boundary because my tiredness is telling me I need to go recharge. But then we think, oh, but this person's gonna be mad at me if I say I gotta go and they're gonna feel rejected. So what happens is, is we wind up bypassing the awareness of our own needs to stay popular and lovable in the eyes of other people. So I think what we learn in the necessity of boundaries is I go where I'm called and I'm going to do all the work that's going to go through me, you know, and who I meet and talk to, we're all file swapping on a very subconscious level. But I really need to be aware of when I start getting tired. And when I get tired, I need a break. I need to rest. I need to integrate. You know, and, you know, if, if you're a parent, hopefully you have a great co-parenting system where, you know, when you're tired, you have time to rest. And really boundaries are not towards other people that are taking advantage of us in those in if that happens of course but boundaries are really for ourselves boundaries are to say i know myself to such a level that when i'm tired i know it's time to rest and i'm able to say to someone hey i really appreciate being here with you but i'm starting to get tired so i need to kind of i need to end this right here uh nothing against you i love you i just need to do what's best for me and we need to trust that the people who are really there to be of greatest support to our lives will understand. And the people that don't understand aren't really meant to play those big pivotal roles in our lives. So if someone gets mad and doesn't understand, you know, we think to ourselves, thank you for not understanding. So you show me that you're not quite well equipped to hold that space and role in my life. So, so what great clarity that that offers as well. So when we, when we are aligned, when we are authentic, when we are heart centered, when we are empowered, we're able to say, I'm totally open to interacting and being with people. 
And the minute my boundaries communicate with me, that's when I got to listen. I have to abide and follow that guidance. And so having boundaries is just another facet of surrender, which says I am aware of what I need, not lost in just what I want. And more importantly, I'm able to fulfill those needs without being lost in what others want for me. It's a very powerful place to be. And, you know, what's coming true for me right now is around the whole area of narcissism. Because I read something recently and it, it said that, that people who are like very highly say, sensitive and empathic in nature, they have a tendency to attract narcissists into their life. Would you have any thoughts around that? Yeah, you know, I personally don't think there are as many narcissists on this planet as people think. And I'll tell you why. I think there are a lot of self-absorbed people because if you're in an ego structure, if you're asleep, if you're identifying with your ego and, you know, which is a very normal way for people to function before they awaken. So there's, I, I say that without any judgment whatsoever. But when, you, when you're in an ego structure and you're identifying with an ego structure, you, any, any person tends to be some level of self-absorption. And so when an energetically sensitive being says, I'm in a partnership and this person only cares about their needs and doesn't really listen to mine, that doesn't really mean that they're a narcissist. That means they're self-absorbed, right? They're so involved in their own needs and their wants. And they're, they're imagining their wants to be needs, which is, you know, another level um, that, that they don't seem to care about what I want or need only what they, that's self-absorption. If we talk about narcissism, narcissism is self-absorption with the inability to empathize with other people's feelings, that's part of it. And the other part of it is the inability to stop being on the offensive or the attack. For example, if a narcissist walk, if a self-absorbed person walked into a room, they would walk in with the perception of how all of what they see has to do with them. That's just self-absorption, right? But if a, if a true narcissist walked into a room and saw another person, they would either think or go immediately into the attack of like, hey, what are you doing sitting over there? Hey, what kind of outfit are you wearing over there? Right? A narcissist subconsciously is not just the inability to empathize, but it's someone who on a subconscious level is, has, has been conditioned and wired to believe, I must always hunt so to not be hunted. I must always attack so not to be attacked. So if we talk about narcissism, it's not just someone who is so self-absorbed they can't empathize with other people's feelings, but it's someone who only knows how to respond critically with criticism and someone who's always trying to make sure they are above other people to make sure that they don't become a victim where other people are over them. So narcissism is a very specific thing. It's become a very popular buzzword but I think a lot of what people are talking about, you know, is energetic vampires, which is a very real phenomenon. And I think what we're talking about is what happens when, a, when an empath or an energetically sensitive being gets into a relationship with someone who's in a completely self-absorbed ego state. And really it's just evolving conscious person in a relationship with an unconscious person not necessarily narcissism. Narcissism is a special category and there aren't as many people in that category as people would believe. Just around the whole area of waking up, what's happening right now in the world is probably an opportunity for us to look at things differently. Like, would you think that, Matt? Well, of course, you know, I, I would want everyone to look at this situation in the world and ask themselves the question, what is the, how can I look at this in a way that feels supportive of myself and that makes me more faithful in the world instead of more fearful of the world. So I think really, you know, it's a very simple teaching, but it's a very, uh, it's funny how the simplest teachings are always the things people overlook uh, in moments of adversity. And what we have to look at is how I feel in my body is telling me the quality of my perception. So we let our emotions kind of be our uh, fact-checking mechanism. And we go, oh my God, I'm seeing this. But if that is really true, 
I would feel more relaxed in my body. Like even if you saw something that was the opposite of what you wanted, if it's the truth, you'd go, this isn't what I wanted, but here we are. And I, I, I don't have to like it, but I can be okay with it. Even that. But for a lot of people, they, they experience fear in their body, which means the experience isn't putting me into fear, but perhaps the way I'm viewing it is, is seen from a, a fearful perspective. Or if I could, you know, and, and I, it's, it, it can be challenging sometimes because people are looking at things the way they're presented, whether it's in the media or whatever, and they're responding as if that's the reality. And I think, you know, what's really interesting without getting too deep on that side of things is there's a difference between reality and the reality being presented. And if you watch a news program and you see images and people saying things and you don't feel good in your body, well, maybe that's your soul saying, this is the truth that's being presented, but this is your body saying, this isn't the entire truth. And we have to learn to listen to our feelings to say, truth is what my feelings confirm not a story that someone sells me. And I think it's a very important shift. Do you think what's happening at the moment is helping us to strengthen something within ourselves, Matt? I think that what's happening is helping us to become aware of the infinite strength within us. You know, one of the biggest bummers for the ego is that, you know, even though you may or may not get what you want in any given moment, you always have within you the infinite strength to make it through each moment and to become a better version of yourself than you were before. And this kind of disappoints the ego because the ego needs, the ego believes with all of its heart that I'm only going to be better when better things happen to me. And so I think that it's, it's not just, you know, of course this time is helping to strengthen things in people, but what it's really strengthening is the awareness of the infinite strength within us. And if you, and if we all, knew the infinite strength within us, our desires would be there, but they wouldn't matter as much because most people only believe I only can be my strongest best self when the best things happen to me. And the reality is, is that when life unexpectedly becomes uncertain, we instantly have an access to a strength within ourselves that's going to carry us through and it's going to make us more incredible and invincible than ever before but there are just so many egos still in the unraveling process that say, I refuse to allow life to make me better when it's not what I want. And that's exactly what life is unraveling in all of us right now. Some of us are very far along in the journey. Some of us are just beginning the journey. But the notion is all of this is showing us the resilience, the peace, the strength, and the courage within us. And the real invitation is, can I bring my best qualities out to play instead of just waiting for life to be what I think it should be? That's where the rubber hits the road. A lot of people have lost their jobs and maybe even lost other things as a result of this situation as well. Maybe a lot of these people maybe had certain attachments or identifications to these situations. Is there a way that they could purposely move into something else in their lives from this work? Well, of course, you know, life will always redirect us. You know, we never lose anything. We just graduate, right? We graduate beyond the need for that curriculum or that environment of growth. So, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, someone lost their job. I graduated. I don't know what's next, but I graduated. And I think that what's interesting is that if we want to give people a tool to really help them through this process, I think it's really a tool of acceptance. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of people also get very confused about, you know, being honest about my experience, but I don't want to talk negatively because I'm afraid I'm going to attract negativity, right? There's all these little superstitious potholes that actually don't even exist, but people live in such a confined way because they're afraid of it. And so I think when we're talking about acceptance, the first part of acceptance is just the authentic sharing of what happened and what I feel. And the second part is the acknowledgement that no matter what I felt, no matter what happened, things can only get better from here. So imagine if someone said to themselves, even though I lost my job and don't know how I'm gonna pay my bills and feed my family, I know it can only get better from here. That's a moment of acceptance. We've acknowledged here's what happened. 
here's what I'm feeling. And yet, no matter how dire it looks, things can only get better from here. And when you say that after honest sharing, and then you couple it with hope and faith, you're telling the universe, I see what's happening. I acknowledge my human experience as seeing it this way. I'm not going to try to judge myself for seeing it, but I'm open to things only getting better. So universe, I'll just hold the door of my awareness open and you can show me how this is a miracle in progress. That's it. In regard to that, is there a way that people can really connect with that from the point of view of moving into their own power in their lives? I think it's from seeing that everything has an opposite. So if we're in a moment of vulnerability, if we're in a moment of unsafety, right? Moments of unsafety are only to bring us into moments of transmutation that bring us to the opposite place of safety. Moments of despair are only going to deliver us to the opposite side of despair, which would be um, let's just say joy, for example, or uh, moments of loss will only eventually deliver us into new things to gain. So I think really what it is, is, you know, so when our feelings come up, we say, okay, even though this happened and I feel this way, things are only going to get better from here on out. And to know in your heart that whatever low you're experiencing is only taking you to the opposite high. That's just the way energy cycles and it doesn't go backwards. You know, if you hand your beloved a rose, she can't hold that rose long enough and then it all of a sudden becomes a handful of seeds. Nothing goes backwards, it only blossoms upwards. Vibration only goes from a low to a high. So if we're experiencing a low, we say, thank you life for helping me revisit this low. And now that I'm at this low, I can only be delivered through the grace of the universe to the opposite high. So yippee, wow, I lost my job. I have a ton of bills. My kids are hungry. Wow, what the hell am I going to do? Well, I don't know. I'm just going to take it one minute at a time. I'm going to acknowledge even though I feel this way and this happened, things are only going to get better. And I'm just going to focus on giving myself and my family what we need. I know this is all leading us to a better place. And I'm going to let time be my friend, not a bully that I use against myself coming into harmony with time. Everything in time is going to get better. Everything in time is going to get better for this planet. This planet is ascending into what will become heaven on earth. And right now, there are a bunch of people that before they get to the heaven on earth are in the opposite side of moving through social, energetic, and emotional purgatory. But no matter what has happened, no matter what we feel, things are only going to get better because that's the law of the universe. If people want to find out more about your work or even the books that you've written, Matt, how could they do that? Well, all of all three of my books, uh, Whatever Arises, Love That, um, Everything is Here to Help You, and my newest one, The Universe Always Has a Plan. And for during this time of global uncertainty, the, the Universe Always Has a Plan is the best book for everyone. Those are all available through Amazon. Um, and to join my free newsletter, to uh, see where I'll be doing events when we can do public events in the future and to read some of my blogs, uh, please go to mattcon.org. That's M-A-T-T-K-A-H-N dot O-R-G. Thanks so much, Matt. Oh, you too, brother. It's an honor to meet you. Yeah, same to you. Bye-bye. Take Bye -bye. care. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to that interview. At the core of the Hellstone is one question. Where does the money come from to create it? Does the work you do make humanity better through the products you use to help you grow and become a more empowered and authentic person? That's why supporting the health zone and donor box is good for all of us. I can focus on creating an inspiring and thought-provoking show so you can become a more connected human being. It's an honest exchange, value for value. This show costs hundreds of euros per month to produce and bring to your ears. It's a free podcast and you can listen to the content for free. I invest my time and creative energy in creating it. However, I can't keep the show going without support. If you feel this podcast adds value, inspiration and motivation to your life, I invite you to support the show on DonorBox.org 
forward slash the health zone. Think of it like going for a cup of coffee or a tea. Is this show worth buying me a coffee or a tea a month? Your kindness and generosity really helps, supports and encourages me to do even more. It also creates the possibility for someone who cannot afford to listen to this as well. Visit donorbox.org forward slash the health zone to kindly donate anything you can. Thanks ever so much for your support. Thanks for listening to another inspiring and thought-provoking show of The Health Zone. I'm Michal Mahuna. Just to remind you, you can find us on facebook.com forward slash The Health Zone Show or you can join our Facebook group, The Health Owners. We're also on Twitter, Instagram and pin interests under The Health Zone. To gain further invaluable resources on health and well-being, go to our website www.thehealthzoneshow.com thehealthzoneshow.com When you're on there, join The Health Zone and you'll receive a free copy of my latest ebook, 7 Ways to Boost Your Overall Well-Being. Finally, I would love to hear any feedback you may have on the show and even if there are any particular guests or topics which you're interested in, please email me on tunein at thehealthzoneshow.com Until next time, this is Hall. Thanks for listening and I wish you a very healthy, happy and authentic week. Baby,